0: Well, I'm sure most of us are familiar with a popular children's book series called Where's Waldo? The books present readers with a series of crowd scenes and challenges us to find the lanky, bespectacled Waldo somewhere amid all of the faces. And it can take a while even for an adult uh, to find Waldo there on a crowded beach or a crowded city street. Now, predictably, someone came up with a Christian version called Where's Jesus? So here we have a bunch of people in first century robes tending to their nets, getting dunked in the water and going to the marketplace. And we're supposed to find Jesus somewhere in that scene. If you're having a hard time doing it, don't feel bad. I never did find him, okay? Spent way too much time looking for him in this particular picture. But as it turns out, finding Jesus in real life isn't always easy either. To so this spring, we are asking... Where's Jesus now? Now that his earthly life is over, now that he's risen from the dead, now that he's ascended into heaven, where is Jesus now? And what is he doing in our lives and in the world? So we're working our way through the New Testament asking these questions. And what we've been learning is that Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of God. He's with us by his Holy Spirit, and he's on his way back to finish what he's begun. But there are certain times in life when it's especially hard to find Jesus. So last week we asked, where is Jesus when life is hard, when we're struggling? And we learned that he's with us, he's for us, and he's ahead of us. Today we'd like to ask, where is Jesus when we suffer? Now, we're not talking about a rough day at work or rain on our barbecue. We're talking about where is Jesus when life falls apart? Where is Jesus when tragedy strikes? And in particular, where is Jesus when we suffer because of our faith in him? Now, suffering is a loaded word. There are many kinds of suffering and many degrees of suffering. And as Americans living in a free and prosperous nation, most of us have not suffered in the way many millions of people are suffering today. And so we want to be careful to be aware of that as we talk about these things today. At the same time, no one makes it through this life without pain and heartache and loss. And that hurts no matter what your circumstances are. And there are times in which our Christian faith makes us especially vulnerable to pain and heartache and injustice and sorrow. So where is Jesus in our season of suffering? And how can he help us be strong to the finish? Those are the questions we're going after today. And to answer them, I'd like to take you to a letter of the New Testament that was written to Christian people who were, in fact, suffering. It's the book that we call 1 Peter. We're going to focus on chapter 4, verses 12 through 19, but we'll look at a few other verses in that letter as well. Let me read the whole passage for us, and then we'll come back and look at it a little more carefully. It should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. The first thing we learn here is that suffering is inevitable. In this life, even for Christian people. Do not be surprised, friends, Peter says, when fiery ordeals come upon you. We have to remember that we live in a fallen world. The forces of nature don't always work the way they're supposed to work. We live in a world inhabited uh, by fallible, sinful people like you and me, people who make mistakes who do foolish and sometimes hurtful things to ourselves and to each other and to this planet in which we live. We live in a world that's haunted by a spiritual enemy known as the devil who is at work in a spiritual realm to accuse and deceive and tempt and tear down all the good things God wants to do in this world. And as Christ followers, we aren't granted immunity from those things, as if we're privileged contestants on some kind of survivor show. In fact, as Christian people, we may be even more vulnerable to certain kinds of injustice and heartache and sorrow. The passage also reminds us there's different kinds of suffering. Sinful suffering is pain and heartache that we bring on ourselves by our foolish decisions, by our wrong choices, by reckless living. Peter says very plainly, if, you suffer as a, if we suffer as a murderer or a thief or even a meddler, we get what we deserve. So think about that. Next time you're tempted to stick your nose into somebody else's business, <laughs> even meddling can get you in trouble. So there's sinful suffering. Natural suffering is the suffering that comes to us because we, we live in a fallen world, where cars crash and mosquitoes carry viruses and tornadoes roar across the plains. And then there's righteous suffering. And this is suffering that comes because of or in spite of the fact that we're doing the right thing. You, you refuse to bend the rules or the law and you get fired from your job. You decide not to drink, and suddenly your friends are ostracizing you. You try to help someone financially, and they take advantage of you. You come to faith in Christ, and friends and family members distance themselves from you or cut you off completely. This is what Peter is talking about when he says suffering according to God's will. He's not describing suffering that God has engineered to teach you a thing or two. He's talking about the suffering that comes when we are doing what we are called to do, when we are doing our best to follow God's way and and hardship and humiliation or hostility comes our way. And that's the kind of suffering these readers were experiencing, the original recipients of this letter. This letter was written about 30 or so years after Jesus returned to heaven. So by this time, after three decades, the Christian church, the Christian movement, is no longer a small sect of Judaism. It's now become an empire-wide spiritual social movement that is threatening the Roman way of life and, and the Roman religion. And so persecution has now broken out against Christian people. And so no doubt, some of these readers had already lost jobs or lost homes, been rejected by friends neighbors and members of their own family. We learn that some of them were slaves who were being abused by their pagan masters. We learn that some were Christian wives who were being harassed and neglected by their unbelieving husbands. In AD 64, when Rome nearly burned to the ground, Nero blamed it on the Christians. And so a new wave of persecution broke out. Many were thrown in jail and many more would be in the days to come. Now, I realize all of that may sound very long ago and far away, but we dare not forget that today, followers of Christ are being persecuted all across the world, persecuted in in greater numbers than ever before in human history. Just this week, I was reading that persecution against the church in China is suddenly on the rise, a dramatic increase in recent years. No doubt you've read about hundreds, thousands even of of crosses being torn down from churches, churches being closed or demolished, pastors being thrown in jail or placed under house arrest, church members threatened with losing their jobs or their privileges or their homes if they continue to practice their faith in particular ways. In other parts of the world, the Middle East, places in Africa, South Asia, we know that Christian people live in fear not just from the government but from neighbors, from marauding mobs of, of religious fanatics who may at any moment turn upon them, set their house on fire, drag them into the street for a public beating. Now, not, not many of us are likely to, to be persecuted that way, to, to lose our homes or be thrown in jail. At the same time, it is not getting any easier to be a follower of Christ in the world in which we live today. So the first thing we learn here is that suffering is inevitable in this life. There are different kinds of suffering and that Christian people are especially vulnerable to righteous suffering. The third thing we learn, and perhaps the most difficult to accept, is that there is a way to embrace suffering, to to take hold of suffering in a positive way, even to rejoice in it. Again, Peter says, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you, but rejoice. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. If you suffer as a Christian, praise God that you bear that name. Now surely, Peter's not asking us to be happy when we experience heartache or pain or loss. God doesn't want us to suffer. He didn't create us to suffer. He takes no pleasure in our pain. And we certainly shouldn't go looking for suffering in some misguided attempt to be more spiritual. Peter's simply telling us that when suffering comes, we have an opportunity to experience Christ and to glorify Christ in ways we may not be able to when life is comfortable and secure and happy. We might put it this way. When suffering comes, we have an opportunity to know Christ and to show Christ like never before. An opportunity to know Christ and to show Christ like never before. Now, if this is a hard truth for us to accept, this idea of rejoicing in suffering, Let's remember that Peter had a hard time accepting it as well. You remember the first time Jesus spoke with Peter about suffering? He was speaking to all of the disciples. He began to tell them about the fact that he would be handed over to the authorities, that he would suffer many things, and that he would be killed. How did Peter respond? No way, Lord. Never. These things will never happen to you or to us, right? It's probably what he was thinking. Peter's theology, his worldview, didn't have much room for suffering, especially suffering as one of God's people. And chances are, our theology, our worldview, doesn't have a lot of room for suffering either. As Americans, we're, we're, we're raised to kind of think the world owes us life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. As Christian people, we have a hard time letting go of the idea that if we trust and obey, things will go our way. Could be a praise song, couldn't it? It's got a little, <laughs> a little ring to it. Now, we, we never advocate health and wealth gospel, but we can't help thinking that if we keep our nose clean, if we do our thing, go to church, read our Bibles, then God's going to keep the really bad stuff away from us, Right? when we suffer as Christians when we're doing the right thing we tend to think the system has broken down or that God has let us down but Peter tells us what Jesus told him suffering is part of the bargain it is part of this journey through life a journey of faith In fact, it's one of the ways that God reveals himself to us and to the world. It's one of the ways his purposes are accomplished in the world. As Peter was to learn, it was the suffering of Jesus, his death on the cross, that would accomplish the forgiveness of our sins. It was the way in which God would would save people and begin to redeem this world he's made. Which is why Jesus said to Peter, Peter, And to us, whoever would come after me, whoever wants to be my disciple, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. But that's a tall order. And suffering still hurts. So where is Jesus when we suffer? And how can he help us stay strong to the finish? As I ask that question of this passage and the rest of Peter's letter, two truths emerged for me that could help us stay strong. And the first is that when we suffer, Jesus is nearer than we ever realized. When we suffer, Jesus is nearer than we ever realized. Look again at verse 13. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Now that word participate comes from a Greek word that we toss around in church circles sometimes it's the word koinonia. It's a warm word that we translate fellowship. It's the idea of having something in common with another person, sharing something fully and deeply. And so when we suffer righteously, we have something in common with Jesus, who also suffered righteously. Now, Peter sets this up back in chapter 3, where he says, for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. I spent some time this week revisiting the passion, the struggle, the suffering of Jesus as he made his way to the cross. And I was struck by the many different ways in which he suffered. He suffered emotionally, knowing what he was getting himself into, shedding great tears of blood even in the Garden of Gethsemane bearing the humiliation, the harassment of crowds and guards and religious authorities, emotional suffering. And then, of course, there was relational suffering. As one by one, the people he counted closest in his life betrayed him, denied him, and abandoned him in his hour of need. And then, of course, there was the physical suffering, beating, torture, And an execution in the most painful way, perhaps, that human beings have ever concocted to bring an end to someone's life. Physical suffering. And then, of course, the spiritual suffering of bearing on his shoulders all the guilt and shame of the whole world's sin, every wicked thing and thought on his shoulders in the presence of a holy God, and the sky went dark on him emotional, relational, physical, and spiritual suffering. Peter is telling us that when we suffer in any one of those ways, we have something in common with Jesus. We have an opportunity to draw close to him, to find a kinship with him as a fellow sufferer in ways we can't when life is working well. We have a special bond between us, a kind of kinship of fellow suffering, something like that that the cancer survivors experience. They've been through a certain thing together. They've asked questions and felt pain and and struggled through things that others of us have not experienced. There's a community among them, a knowledge and understanding of one another's experience that creates a bond. That's interesting, Peter uses this phrase, fiery ordeal, to describe their suffering. Remember, he's writing to a Jewish audience primarily. And so that expression would immediately have brought to mind the the story from Jewish history of those three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and off to bed you go. (laughs) It's an old Sunday school joke. I'm desperate this morning. (laughs) Those three young men of ancient Babylon who refused to bow down and worship the golden image of the king. The king was so angry that to make an example of them, he decreed that they should be thrown into the fiery furnace, a furnace that had been heated seven times hotter than usual. But no sooner were those three young men thrown into the furnace that the king discerned a fourth figure walking among the flames with them. And the king said, he looked like a son of the gods, which of course he was. What must it have been like to be inside that furnace? What did the four of them talk about as the flames leapt around their feet? I mean, how amazed, how honored, how those young men men must have felt to be in the presence of God in a moment like that. The others could only watch and wonder what might have been going on in there. That was a, a furnace fellowship. Only those who were in it together could experience it. And so it is with suffering in our lives. It provides us with an opportunity to know something of what Christ endured, especially when we suffer righteously. I have a friend, longtime friend, who suffered all kinds of abuse as a child, the worst kinds of things a child can experience from her parents and from her father in particular. And it has left deep scars on her life of loneliness and Difficulty trusting people, and she spent most of her adult life living alone, having a very hard time to establish meaningful relationships with anybody. Depression, anxiety, self-destructive behavior, all kinds of things she's dealt with. One day, she was reading the Gospels, and she came to those nearly final words of Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And suddenly she realized Jesus knows how it feels to feel abandoned, to feel cast off by one you counted on and even by your Father. And Suddenly in that moment she felt a kinship with Christ that she had never experienced before and as she told me about it she said it's a closeness to Christ that even i her pastor had never experienced and that's true and it was for her the beginning of a it was a turning point for her in her journey towards healing and wholeness And so it is for all who suffer righteously in this life. There's a sense of God's presence, a sense of being valued, a sense of privilege and honor to experience something of what he experienced in this life. There's a nearness that comes from it, and no amount of Bible study or sermon listening or sermon writing can lead to that kind of intimacy with Christ. Some of you know what I am describing And some of you have allowed people like me to walk alongside you in those journeys through those dark days. And we are humbled and honored to walk alongside you as you do. And so we can embrace suffering. We can take it up, knowing that when we suffer, Jesus is nearer than we ever realized. The second truth that emerges from this letter is that when we suffer, Jesus is stronger than we ever imagined. Stronger than we ever imagined. Let's look one more time at verse 13. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Peter's reminding us that Christ overcame his suffering. He conquered the evil that was being done to him. He remained sinless to the point of death. And then he rose from the dead in victory over it, breaking the power of sin and death over him and over all of us. And so we can rejoice not in the suffering itself but the glory that will be revealed when with his help we overcome our suffering when we find freedom and healing beyond it and and through it. And when God does good things in the world around us through our suffering when he redeems it. Peter says it more fully back in chapter two. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, This is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live to righteousness. Now, speaking of children's books, there's a wonderful little image, word picture, tucked away in this verse. It's that phrase, leaving you an example. The phrase Peter's using there describes an an ancient wax tablet. It was something that was used often to teach children how to form their letters. The, the, The teacher would make, would etch deep, strong lines in the wax Forming letters. The children would then take a stylus and trace those letters, learning how to form them for themselves, how to put thoughts together for themselves. In the same way, Peter says, Christ etched out an example for you into the wax of suffering, showing us the paths that we could and should take so that as we follow them, we become fashioned and formed into the likeness of Christ. We learn how to continue doing good. We learn how not to return evil for evil. We learn to entrust ourselves to Him who will judge justly in this life and in the life to come. We can trust Him with our suffering. And like these children, we become formed into the likeness of Christ. As part of our series, we've been profiling. Grace Chapel folks who've been following Jesus for a long time. We're going to take a little break from that this week because I'd like to tell you about a a long-time Christ follower I've known from another church and another time. Hal was a a good and godly man, leader in the church for many years, highly respected in his local community where he lived for a long time, senior management of, of a major corporation. Some years earlier, in his work as an elder in the church, he had mentored a, a younger woman who had been coming through some really rough times in life. Well, as it happened, they fell in love along the way and they were married. Hal adopted her child, and then they had a couple of their own. It was, it was a great story, a story of love and redemption, and Hal loved to tell the story. But after a decade or so of what seemed to be a happy marriage and household, Things fell apart abruptly and painfully. Hal was certainly not a perfect husband, but for reasons of her own, she left him and divorced him. He was hurt, he was humiliated, and he was struggling spiritually. How, how could God allow this once good story to have such an ugly ending? one night he came to me to talk about it. And I remember he took me to these same verses in 1 Peter. And he said to me, I want to do what these verses say. I want to identify with Christ in my suffering. I want to follow Jesus' example. So he determined, as painful as it was, that he would follow Jesus' example, that he would refrain from retaliation that he would seek the good of his ex-wife and their children, and that he would entrust himself and their futures to God. That's what he did. He resigned his leadership role and literally took a back seat in the life of the church. He accepted the financial burden for two households, And he continued for many years to love, serve, and pray for her and their children in every way that he could. It was the hardest thing he had ever done. After many years of this, his ex-wife expressed a desire to return to church. Not just any church, but his church. Church he had served and led and worshipped in for so long. With her new husband, He not only welcomed her into that church, he decided he would worship at another campus so that she and he would feel more comfortable in that environment. Hal passed away a couple of years ago. But on my last visit with him, he was so happy that his former wife and her husband had found their way back to church and back to God. And he was happy that someday somehow they would all be together in the kingdom of God. Only Jesus could have given my friend Hal the strength to walk that road. Only Jesus in his wisdom and grace could have worked those awful things together towards good ends. Only Jesus could see my friend Hal and keep him strong to the finish of his life. See, when we suffer, Jesus is nearer than we ever realized and stronger than we ever imagined. That does not negate the suffering that we experience. It doesn't diminish the pain or the heartache, but it does make it meaningful. Knowing that as these things unfold, we are being formed in the image of Christ. He is using our suffering to do good things in the lives of people around us and that he will one day be glorified for what is being accomplished. And all of this is possible, Peter tells us, because Jesus suffered first. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And so we find ourselves back to the Jesus we are seeking to rediscover, The best-selling book and movie Unbroken tells the dramatic story of Louis Zamperini. Zamperini, back in the 1930s, was an Olympic track star who then went on to serve his country during World War II. His plane was shot down over the ocean. He and a buddy survived in a life raft for 47 days at sea, only to be plucked out of the sea by a Japanese crew that sent them off to a prisoner of war camp. Conditions in that camp were brutal, especially for Zamperini. The enemy commander recognized him as as an American hero, and so he was determined to break his spirit and to break his positive influence over the other prisoners in the camp. But somehow, through all of it, Zamperini stood strong, refusing to give in to despair and defeat. One day, the commander caught Zamperini pausing in his work to catch his breath in the blistering noonday sun. And the commander determined to make an example out of Zamperini that day, forcing him to stand in the sun and hold a heavy wooden beam until he dropped. Let's watch for a few minutes and see what happened. If he drops it, shoot it. me Somehow, in that awful, climactic moment, Zamperini found the strength, not only to bear up under that beam but to lift it high to triumph over it he not only bore that suffering he conquered it he became an example all right an example of courage and strength in the face of injustice he and his men would not be broken no matter what the enemy did to them he took a beating for it but his men took courage from it And they hung in there until soon after they were liberated by allied forces. That is the power of righteous, redemptive suffering. Now we want to remember that this took place at a time when America and Japan were at war, enemies with one another. And the atrocity and the suffering flowed both ways, as it always does when the enemy turns us against one another. And when we try in our human strength to try the best we can to make things right. But that's why in this fallen world we need someone stronger, Amen. one who suffers righteously, a perfectly righteous one, to suffer for us, to bear our sin, to conquer our enemies. And when that beam was laid upon his shoulders, a beam heavy with the world's sin, he not only bore it with outstretched strong arms, he lifted it as a sign of triumph and victory over sin and death. The Bible tells us in, the, in, the, in one of Paul's letters, that when there at the cross with the angels watching with the world watching Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities making a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. CS Lewis tells us amen. <clears throat> C.S. Lewis tells us that Christianity stands alone among the religions of the world in that it offers us a redemptive answer to the problem of suffering. No other religion does that. Other religions would tell us that, that suffering is, um, is, is, is to be avoided by, by, by placating the gods, that suffering is to be dismissed as a mere illusion, that suffering is to be endured as a punishment for misdeeds in some former life. Only Christianity tells us and gives us the power to take hold of suffering, to seize it for the glory of God and the good of the world and the transformation of our souls. Not long after returning to the States, Zamperini came to know Christ personally at a Billy Graham crusade. He followed Jesus for the rest of his life to the age of 97. He extended forgiveness publicly to his captors, including that commander, and he died just recently at the age of 97. That's what I call strong to the finish. I hope, I hope you're not suffering today. But if you are, and when we do, we don't have to wonder where Jesus is and what he's doing. All we need to do is to look at the cross, which reminds us that when we suffer, he's nearer than we ever realized and stronger than we ever imagined. Let's pray together. I'd like to allow us a moment or two as we close to pray for anyone we know who might be suffering. Maybe it's a member of our family or your friendship circle of your church. Maybe it's you. If no one comes to mind, then you might pray for brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are being persecuted for their faith. Let's bring them before the Lord privately quietly in our prayers, asking him to give them strength. Thank you, Lord, that you know the names of every person we're bringing before you here today. You know exactly what they're going through and exactly what they need. We're thankful that your son Jesus has experienced something like that and is able to help them. And so we pray that they would sense your presence with them in this very moment, that they would find a peace that passes understanding and a strength that can come only from you may you make them strong through this season of their life and to the finish of their lives and may you do the same in our lives as well thank you for loving us enough to enter into our world with all of its heartache and experiencing the very worst of it there at the cross and doing your very best work there setting us free that we might be your people in this world now and forever may we do so in Jesus name and to his glory amen let's stand and celebrate our faith together